Hello, my name is Ricky Turner, and welcome to Turner Takeover. I am currently a sophomore journalism student at Temple University. And, you know, I started this podcast because I am a huge sports fan. Um, I'm a huge Steelers and Wizards fan. And so I'm mostly going to be discussing NFL and NBA news. And at the end of each show, I'll probably discuss one or two random topics and I'm going to let the audience choose those, so I'll post them on my social media accounts. My Instagram is theallamerican84, all lowercase, and my Snapchat is rturner07. And I'll probably post what you guys want to talk about at the end of each show on there. And hopefully this turns out good. I'm excited to get this going. And let's begin. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the seventh episode of Turner Takeover. Hard to believe we're on episode seven. We had a little bit of a hiatus, about a three-week hiatus. Um, I've just been busy here at Temple continuing to contribute to, you know, some of the things they offer here at Temple, Owl Sports Update, WHIP Sports, and of course, school, balancing that. Again, I sort of don't always have the the time to stick to um, every other week's schedule, but nevertheless, we're here with our seventh episode, and today, we're getting started off with some rumors out out of Seattle. Oh, what's going on in Seattle? Yeah, Russell Wilson. Again, when he gets mad, let's just say it's it's an explosion when he gets mad. Russell Wilson. Again, teams are calling about Russell Wilson. Teams are calling about Russell Wilson. Do I think he will leave Seattle ultimately? Ultimately, no, I don't. I, I think he will end up staying in Seattle. But nevertheless, here we are. The asking price for Russell Wilson, according to some sources around the league here, three first-round picks, and uh, that's a lot. And uh, teams don't really have that, especially you know some of the teams that want him. Um, again, Russell Wilson, he's he's 31, so he's still got some years left in him. And especially with the rate QBs are going, going. Or playing right now, you know, he definitely has a, a few good years in him, at least, at least a few. Um, but let's get to the teams who I think, you know, should maybe look at him because of, you know, Seattle's failure. Or, well, he's upset that they haven't really surrounded him with a good offensive line. I think he's been sacked 40 times every year, except for his rookie year, where I think he was sacked 37. I don't know. I uh, don't quote me on that stat, but I, I do know for a fact that he's been sacked 40 plus times every year of his career, except his rookie year. But and he's on pace to definitely maybe break the record for most sacks all time. But who are the teams that you know that we should maybe look out for? You know with Russell Wilson. The first to me and a team that made some headlines today because they just franchise tagged Allen Robinson, a number one receiver. Number one. Allen Robinson's a number one receiver despite playing with trash QBs. Very underappreciated. Penn State alumni. Um, Again, I'm 
remember some of his moments at Penn State. He was incredible, incredible to watch. Great receiver. But first off, we're going to go to the Bears here. They just franchised Tag Robinson. And, you know, to me, they're a QB away from being Super Bowl contenders. You know, they've, they have a great defense. You have Khalil Mack. You have Akeem Hicks, Ro- Roquan Smith, Kyle Fuller. Um, who's the guy I'm looking for? Not Adrian. Oh, I forget his name. Eddie Jackson. Eddie Jackson, that's his name. But they have a great talent on the defensive side of the ball. And, you know, they franchise tag Allen Robinson. You have Daryl Mooney. You have Anthony Miller. Tariq Cohen will be back. David Montgomery's coming off a 1,000-yard season. He sort of got it going towards the end of last year. And, again, I I like David Montgomery, except for two years ago when I drafted him, expecting him to do well, and he didn't. But he caught fire at the end of this year, and, you know, the Bears had some success, got snuck into the playoffs, but ultimately fell to the Saints. In, in large part to, you know, a terrible offense. And Mitchell Trubisky, they didn't get his options. So right now, the Bears don't have a QB for an, the upcoming season. And it's been noted that they've made some moves to try and acquire Russell Wilson. Do they have the capital to try and get him? Do they have the... What's the word? Do they have the pieces that they, they need to get Russell Wilson? I'm not sure if they do, but, um, you know, they could try and trade for him and maybe get Allen or maybe involve Nick Foles and get some Nick Foles to Seattle action because, you know, I'm sure the Seahawks would like maybe a QB in return, but... Yeah, I mean, the, for me, the Bears, again, total sense. They're a QB away from being real Super Bowl contenders. Great defense. They got some young weapons. They have Allen Robinson, a a number number one receiver. Cole Komet had a pretty good year at tight end for them. And they don't have a bad offensive line. And also some news surround, sort of surrounding the Bears. Kyle Long came out of retirement. He unretired, and he's currently a free agent. So... I don't know. I guess we'll see where he goes. But, you know, the second team that I think could really make a move at um, at Russell Wilson is the Saints. Yes, the cap casualty Saints. Very bad. God, I saw they're like $60 million over the cap. That's ridiculous. But, again, they could, they could trade for Wilson, maybe involve Taysom Hill, Jameis Winston, you know, in a deal there to send one of them to Seattle. And where do you, what do you get with the Saints? But again, a great defense. And on offense, you're surrounded with Michael Thomas, who played better with Taysom Hill. Look at the numbers. He had a better year with or better numbers when playing with Taysom Hill than Drew Brees. You have Michael Thomas, Emmanuel Sanders. Um, I, I think they just released Jared Cook, so not sure who their tight end is going to be. But you have Alvin Kamara. Um, I forget their backup, but I know he's he's good. They have a a pretty a, an all right offensive line. I, I think they still need some pieces along the O line, but with with those weapons, Wilson, Michael Thomas, Alvin Kamara, and that defense, the way the way they played last season, I mean, 
the Saints might not have a drop off if they go right after if they go after Russell Wilson. I mean, their cap situation isn't the best, but you know, I guess I guess we'll see what happens. But um, and the last team, well, the last team was Dallas until Dallas decided to pay Dak Prescott. I'll give give you my thoughts on that later, but. Um, the last team that maybe could make a run, the Raiders, you know, involving maybe Derek Carr, sending him to up, sending him down to LA, staying on the West Coast, going to play with John Gruden. Um, you know, they they got some guys on the outs. They got some guys on the outside. They got Rugs. You have Darren Waller. Um, I, I still think they're going to need another wide receiver. Nelson Aguilar sort of proven himself as a deep threat as well. But, you know, you send Carr to Seattle. You know, um, yeah, send Carr to Seattle along with some picks. And Wilson goes right down the West Coast to L.A. Or Vegas, actually. And he could team up with... Team up with Darren Waller. They have Josh D- Jacobs at running back. I think they they have a decent O line, but again, their defense stinks. So that's I'm not really. They wouldn't really be Super Bowl contenders per se. The Raiders they probably be a playoff team with Russell Wilson, but I don't I don't think the I don't think the the Raiders would be Super Bowl contenders just because that defense is god awful. And Russell Wilson isn't going to change that part. So, I mean, yeah, those are the three teams that I really think Russell Wilson could go to. But again, we'll see. I, I think he's going to ultimately end up staying in Seattle. Just because, again, I don't see him leaving. I'm, I don't think he's the guy to hold out either. I think he's, if again, if the trade noise dies down and he's still in a Seattle uniform, I wouldn't be surprised. But, hey... It's the NFL. You never know what's going to happen. Speaking of the Steelers, a guy who I really wanted to go to Pittsburgh is staying in the deep south, except he's going to Arizona. He's trading in the Navy blue or the Navy, Navy blue for the that red there in Arizona. And he signed a two-year, $31 million deal. 30, nah, two-year, $31 million deal. $23 million guaranteed. Stumbling over my words here. Sorry. Definitely not expected. I didn't see this coming. And credit to J.J. Watt for keeping this under, under wraps and who he's signing with. But it, it appears Kyler Murray played a factor in this. As Watt texted Murray, I believe, I believe in you. And he seemed he played a factor. And maybe DeAndre Hopkins as well, as many of you remember. DeAndre Hopkins was traded to Arizona for David Johnson and a second-round pick. So, you know, that could have played a factor. Hopkins reuniting with him. They seem to be good friends. But, you know, two, two Houston Texans going to Arizona now. And just a couple years ago, it's funny. It's funny because... Just a couple of years ago, the Houston Texans were like, were like, oh, we're gonna, it's gonna be Deshaun versus Mahomes, and it, it was exciting. Except Bill O'Brien and the Houston Texans screwed it all up, and Houston's now a bottom feeding team in the AFC South. So 
it just shows you how quickly things could change in the NFL. Um, what do I think about this J.J. Watt signing to, to Arizona? I think he's still a good player. I think he still could provide, be a useful pass rusher for teams. He, he, he ranked 15, 15th in terms of pass rush grade last year. Um, and uh, he still could team up. He has... He has um he has Chandler Jones, Dennis Gardner. Uh, I mean Hassan Reddick. I just saw they're not gonna tag him. So Temple grad, by the way, Temple alumni. Um, but Hassan Reddick, they're not gonna tag him. So he's gonna be hitting the free agent market next 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 Wednesday. I think free agency starts the seventeenth. But they have that week of week of tampering or week of whatever you call it where they they could discuss they well they can't offer a deal but they could just you know discuss about you know maybe teaming up so teams could start reaching out you know i think tomorrow i think i think that starts tomorrow but i mean you could create a he goes to an Arizona team that uh, I didn't know this, but they were the fourth best teams in terms of sacks. Fourth best team in terms of sacks. So Arizona is a pretty good had a pretty good year in terms of sack production. And Chandler Jones, I think, played five games. I think he got hurt, but you know they're gonna have him back. They team him up with J.J. Watt. Um, I don't know if they'll have a Son Reddick. They'll have that. They'll have Dennis Gardner. I know they'll have him. I don't. I'm not sure if that's his name. I might. I might have just. Again, my writing's very sloppy, so got to do better with that. But you know, they could definitely create. And in a division where you, where teams, you know, usually have a good D line, you know, Arizona just definitely beefed up theirs because JJ Watt is can still be a very productive player. He he has had some injuries. He has, you know, he hasn't fully been himself. But I still think he could be a very productive piece along a defensive line. He's still a guy who could create havoc. He's still a guy you need to worry about. He's not He's not just some washed-up scrub. No, J.J. Watt could still perform at a high level. And especially with another pass rush, you know, partner around him. I, I really do think, you know, we maybe could see, you know, maybe eight to ten sacks from him this year. And, and you know, J.J. Watt a great locker room guy he's a guy who he wants one thing he wants his teammates to go out there and he wants them to play their heart out and you saw that last year when he apologized to Deshaun Watson after you know apologizing for basically wasting his year because he knew how he knew how talented Deshaun Watson was everyone does and he was just put on a bad Texans team a bad Texans team that just ripped everything around him apart but Deshaun Watson was still among the best QBs in the league but and you know along with that pass rush duo I mean Chandler Jones and J.J. Watt are the two have the two most sacks since 2012 Chandler Jones with 97 J.J. Watt with 95 and a half so these are still guys that could get to the quarterback and and, you know, in a division where you need a good D-line, they're going to be right up there. You have the Rams. You have Aaron Donald, Leonard Floyd, Michael Brockers. Seattle, nah, Seattle doesn't have a D-line. Actually, they just released Carlos Dunlap, so I don't know what they're doing there. Um, you have San Francisco. 
returning with Nick Nick Bosa. Um, who else do they have? They have the they have the defensive tackle from South Carolina. I forget it. Oh, Javon Kinlaw. Um, they have him. I think that they're gonna have D Ford coming back. So again, they have a in a division where you need a good D line. Arizona made a great move in in getting still one of one of one of the better pass rushers in the league. And I, I think JJ is going to, you know, he only had five sacks last year. I think he's going to have somewhere around eight to 10. And he really, he doesn't make this team Super Bowl contenders necessarily, but he definitely makes them more competitive. And that, that is definitely what they wanted. You know, they needed some help along the defensive side of the ball and they got it. They got it. And then you team him up with Isaiah Simmons, the kind of athletic freak he is. Um, Pat Peterson, Buda Baker, uh, they're going to have a pretty good defense, I think. You know, depending on, hey, maybe they get Hassan Reddick back and he he goes in there and he plays well for them. So if, if they do that, they'll even be more dangerous. But, you know, it was definitely a good signing by the Texans. I mean, the Cardinals. And I'm, I'm excited to see this Arizona team. You know, they, they had playoff expectations last year. They didn't reach it. Didn't. They didn't get there, but I'm, I'm excited to see what this Arizona team is going to do this year with the signing of J.J. Watt because I I, re- I think this team could probably sneak into the playoffs. I, I really do. We're going to be staying in the deep south. This time we're going to be going to Dallas. we got some big news out of Dallas. is Dak Prescott just officially re-signing with the Dallas Cowboys and he is now the second highest annually paid QB with getting 40 million per year but um, he signed a four-year 160 million dollar deal 66 million dollar signing bonus um, 70 75 million guaranteed in his first year um, that's a lot of money and I like Dak. I, li- I like everything about Dak. He deserved to get paid. I, I thought he- Dallas was underappreciating him, undervaluing him. I mean, Dak Prescott won this deal. I don't think you could argue Jerry Jones won this deal. No, Dak Prescott won this deal hands down. The Cowboys overpaid for him, but I again... I think that's what you have to do sometimes with QBs these days. I think you have to overpay them. And Dak said he wanted Pat Mahomes' money, and he got right around that. I mean, he has the biggest signing bonus in league history and up to this date. And But the microscope right now for the Dallas Cowboys has just changed. Or on Dak Prescott. I mean, the Cowboys... Dallas Cowboy fans are going to say they're going to the Super Bowl. No, that's not going to going to happen. Your defense needs to step up. But you know, before this, I thought Dallas paid every every guy. They paid every guy, but but the right guy. What do I mean by that? They paid Ezekiel Elliott. They paid Amari Cooper. I think they paid Jalen Smith. I think they paid Demarcus Lawrence, and they didn't pay Dak Prescott. I think he's the guy you should have paid first. I, but the microscope microscope on Dak Prescott changes. People are gonna now go from 
like Dak. Oh, Dak's underrated, underappreciated. He's he is everything you want in a guy. He's a great leader. He's a warrior. He hadn't missed the start up until last year. He's 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 a com- competitor. He's a guy who can rally the troops. I mean, you saw it. The Dallas Cowboys stunk after he left. Stunk. I mean, not left. He got hurt, but they they stunk. The games they couldn't score the football without Dak Prescott. But Dak Prescott now is going to be under a lot of pressure. A lot. Dak, I mean, people are going to be judging. I mean, when you're the second highest annually paid QB in the league, team, Dak Prescott, he's got to play well. And he's got to win games. He's got to get this team to the playoffs. That's what Dak Prescott has to do. I mean, you're getting paid annually $40 million a year. The second highest annually paid contract in the NFL Whew. You're not underrated anymore, Dak. You're an all you're an all-star. Prove it now. Take the Dallas Cowboys to the playoffs. And I think they're the most talented team in the East, but I, I do think it's gonna be more competitive. I'm not sure about Philadelphia, but the Giants, they're gonna have Saquon coming back, Daniel Jones, that defense is still gonna be stout. Um, we're gonna see what they can do. Washington's still gonna be there. Terry McLaurin. Maybe they trade for a QB. Maybe they get Deshaun Watson. I don't know. Just saying, possibility. And uh, they they re-signed Taylor Heineke. I'm not sure if he'll be a favorite for the job, but um, Washington was still a very competitive team last year, especially with Alex Smith. But they're gonna need a QB. But I, I think they'll still be fairly competitive. But it's gonna be gonna be tough. I think Dallas is definitely the most talented team in that division. But I'm not a huge Mike McCarthy guy, and Dallas doesn't play up to their talent. They've got they have one of the most talented rosters in the NFL outside their secondary. Their secondary is awful, absolutely awful. They need they, I know they have they have a young secondary that I think they do have some promise there, but their secondary as is right now it's it's not very good. Uh, but Dak, um, what has Dak done in this league to deserve that contract? I, I, I thought he deserved to get paid. Now, to this extent, no. I, don't, I didn't think he deserved to get paid Pat Mahomes' money. Because Pat Mahomes, is they're few and far between. And I think Deshaun Watson may have been the only other QB I would have given that money to. But, I mean, he isn't... Dak isn't an MVP. He isn't a Super Bowl um, champion. He's a quality starter. I think he's above average. I think he could be a top 10 QB. I think I I like Dak. I I really did think he was underappreciated. I I think he's underrated. But the microscope now, he's he's under the heat now. Like, you can't say he's underrated and getting paid $40 million a year. Dak's got to live up to that deal. Dak's got to be in the MVP conversation. Dak's got to lead this team to a to the playoffs. He's got to get this team a playoff win. He's got to get them to the NFC Championship. Dak's got to do that. He needs to. He's getting paid to do it. Now, now show him, Dak. Come on. Um, I'm, I'm again. I'm happy he got paid. 
But this Cowboys team, again, they're, they're talented. You have Zeke. You have Amari Cooper. You have Michael Gallup. You have CeeDee Lamb, Tony Pollard. The offensive side of the ball is just littered with playmakers. They should be top 10, top 5 offensively, easily. The defense is what I'm worried about, but they have playmakers there too. You have Demarcus Lawrence. You have Leighton Vanderesh. You have Jalen Smith. Um, outside of that, I don't know if they really have anyone. Their secondary, again, isn't great, but their secondary definitely needs to be worked on. And I think, you know, their offensive line also needs to be work, worked on. You know, they, they do need some pieces there. Um, again, they still do have Zach Martin, one of the be- better interior linemen in the game. But they're gonna need to they're gonna need to definitely improve in the secondary and their offensive line. I think they're gonna need to improve a little there as well. But to me, again, this team this team offensively littered with playmakers. I think they'll they should definitely be the favorite to win the NFC East, and they better win the NFC East because you have a quarterback with a new deal getting paid. You got a $66 million signing bonus. I think 120 some million guaranteed. And he's got to go out there and he's got to win. That's what Dak's got to do. Jerry Jones gave him his money. Now, Dak, now you go out and win. It's what you're getting paid to do. And we'll see what happens. But, you know, this Cowboys team, I think, I think they're going to be... See, this is... This is what a, it's, it's hard to me for hard for me to say about the Cowboys. I, I think to me they should be a middle like middle of the NFC, NFC type of team. They're gonna be in the middle there. They're not like Super Bowl contenders, but they're not they're not bad. They're in that middle tier, but sometimes they don't play up to their talent. And I, I think you know Jason Garrett. You can't use that excuse anymore. He's gone. I'm not a huge Mike McCarthy guy. I don't. I think Mike McCarthy was an upgrade over Jason Garrett, but uh, Mike uh, Mike McCarthy definitely isn't the best head coach out there. He says he's an analytics guy, but uh, I don't know about that. Mike McCarthy not really known for using analytics, but we'll see what happens. I'm curious to see what this Dallas team is going to look like next year, but. Um, my expectation is that they they better win the NFC East and they better win at least one playoff game, at least one. But you know we'll see what happens. But in other NFL news, um, the Broncos we had a lot of franchise tags. The Broncos franchise tagged um, Justin Simmons. You had Tampa Bay franchise tagging Chris Godwin. And Carolina franchise tag Taylor Morton. Uh, Jaguars franchise tag Cam Robinson. Bronc- uh, Washington franchise tag Brandon Scherf. New York division rival. They franchise tag uh, Leonard Williams. That's a big piece for them. The Jets franchise tag Marcus May. And as I said, uh, Justin Simmons with the Broncos. He franchise tag one of the more underrated safeties in the game, Justin Simmons. Shout out to him. Uh, the Washington football team, they cut Alex Smith. The Giants cut Golden Tate, who I'm just saying could be. If the Steelers lose Juju Smith-Schuster, I wouldn't mind picking up Golden Tate. I, I'm, a, I'm a Golden Tate fan. Uh, 
And I, I think, you know, I, I think he'd be a good addition to Pittsburgh if they lose, you know, Juju Smith-Schuster. But we're not going to discuss that yet. The Lions cut Desmond Trufant. The Dolphins traded for Isaiah Wilson from the Titans, who started just three games for the Titans last year. Three games, and he was a draft pick. But Dolphins get some health along the offensive line. And the Pat Patriots traded for disgruntled offensive tackle Trent Brown from Oakland. So the Patriots beefing up along the offensive line as well. They get a very good tackle on Trent Brown, who remember, I think he went through the same offseason that uh, that um, Antonio Brown went to Oakland. So, And I, I think Ty, or, yeah, was it Ty, yeah, Tyrell Williams went to Oakland that same offseason as well. And I think he's gone. I think they just, just cut him. So... <laughs> All those Oakland free agent or free agent signings from a couple years ago are now gone, so that's tough. But you know, uh, we're going to be moving on, shifting gears now to the NBA. So we'll get on that in just a minute. Um, shifting gears right now, we're getting back into the the NBA here. First topic we're going to get into, how about those Phoenix Suns? They've won 12 of their last 14 and currently are second in the Western Conference at the All-Star break. Um, they're playing at a really high level right now. There's no other way to put it. They are they're actually surpassing my expectations. You know, I thought they'd be a 4-5 seed, but again, right now, they're the two seed in the West. They're playing really good basketball, and I'm going to on both ends of the floor, they are top 10 in both offensive and defensive efficiency. They're third in points allowed, and they're 12th in points scored. So again, this is a very balanced team. That's not something you've seen with Phoenix in years past. Phoenix in years past, they've been really, or I guess not really good, but they've had Devin Booker offensively. That was their offense in past years. But in defensively, they stunk. So it wasn't really re- there wasn't really a great recipe for success but i think now they've gotten a really really good balanced attack and huge immense credit to monty williams who should be a coach of the year candidate that's how good they're playing right now monty williams has this team playing great yeah they made a a, a few key free agent signings but listen let's give credit where credit is monty williams is doing a great job I think he should be in the conversation for Coach of the Year, um, along with Doc Rivers, um, uh, Utah Quinn Snyder, Utah Jazz, Imani Williams. I think is right up there. I think those are the three guys right now. I think you look at it; it's Doc Rivers, Monty Williams, and Quinn Snyder. Those are the three to me that are that deserve to be in that conversation for Coach of the Year. Um, he's again. He, they, the, the Suns have sort of designed an offense. As I've said, in years past, it's sort of been get the ball to Devin Booker and get out of the way. But the offense doesn't necessarily run through Devin Booker. That's the beauty of it. It's not just Devin Booker. And we saw that. I'm, I'm going to go touch a little bit on this Lakers game that they had. Um, Devin, this, they could beat you multiple ways. Um, you look at this the game against the Lakers. Um, Booker got ejected in the third quarter. Again, the refs, the refs in basketball, 
I think are the worst refs in professional sports right now. They are some of the soft, like the texts they give out are so soft. These players can't show emotion. They can't get fired up after a basket. It's ridiculous. And I hate it. I hate it. It's taking the fun out of basketball. It's not, I get it. You don't want, you know, people saying F, like F you, like, but that's a different story. If he's just flexing, come on, let him flex, let him. Like if, F, if, if he's not even facing him and he's just flexing and they, and they call a T on him, come on. But back, back to the Suns. we're not talking about the refs now, but in years past, if Devin Booker got ejected, they're done because Devin Booker was their just whole offense in years past. But that's not the case. That's just not, not, not the case. And, you know, they ended up winning this game by 10 against the Lakers. They beat them 114, 104. Um, but, oh, you, you people are probably, oh, Chris Paul went off. No, Chris Paul, I think, went two of eight shooting that night. I think he had like 15 assists. But he had like he had like eight points. So no, it wasn't Chris Paul. It's these role players that they brought in. Jay Crowder, four or five, four or five from three. He had 15. Miles Bridges had 19. He went six to ten shooting. DeAndre Ayton, I think he had 17. Dario Saric led the team in scoring with 21. Abdul Nader hit two threes. He had eight. Cam Johnson had nine. I think he went three of five from three. So these role players, Jay Crowder especially. I Jay Crowder was a huge addition for this team. Because Jay Crowder is a guy that can go, plays hard on both ends of the floor, guards multiple positions, great three-point shooter. I think the Heat are sort of missing him right now, but... I mean, this was a huge signing. I mean, obviously, along with Chris Paul, but Jay Crowder has been a great addition for this team. You know, Mikal Bridges, uh, we saw what he could do in the bubble. He sort of emerged as a scorer for them. Aiton, a, a huge post presence. You know, not, he's not as dominant as I thought he'd be, but he's still a solid player. He's still still a very solid player. Dario Saric, another guy, three three-point specialist off the bench. He's a guy who could give you offense, spread the floor. Um, Abdul Nader, I th- he was a for- former Celtic. I mean, he, he's, he played well. He had two threes. And Cam Johnson had nine. Um, again, North Carolina, gra- North Carolina grad. All of, he transferred from the University of Pitt. Shout out to you, Pitt. Um, but this offense... It gets everyone involved, so you don't know where it's it's coming from. You don't know where the offense is coming from. Okay, it could be Devin Booker one night, Chris Paul, Aiton, um, Saric, as we just saw, Crowder. We don't know. Like They get it to the hot hand, Mikal Bridges. You don't know. Like They have so many more weapons, and this offense is designed. It's not designed around Devin Booker. It's designed around the team. Devin Booker has sacrificed his scoring. You know, Chris Paul's only averaging 16, but they have they have seven players in double-digit scoring. That's very key. That shows, okay, one person's having an off night, another person steps up. The more options you have to score the basketball, the better. 
because teams aren't going to know who to plan for, and it makes it so tough on them. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you want to shut down Devin Booker. You want to shut down Chris Paul. But where else is it going to come from? It could be Mikhail Bridges one night, Jay Crowder, Sarge, Cam Johnson. You don't. You just don't know, and that's what that's that's why this team is going to be be so tough come playoff time. They're going to be. They're my dark horse because offensively and defensively, they are playing at an elite level. They're playing at such a high level that you know they don't rely on their offense. They don't rely on their defense. It's both. They could they could get stops, but they could also score on you. And when it gets to clutch time, when it gets to crunch time, who better to have with the ball than Devin Booker and Chris Paul, two of the best players in in crunch time? We saw Devin Booker's you know game winner against the Clippers last year, the fadeaway he had. We've seen Chris Paul's many clutch moments for the Thunder, for the Rockets, the shots he's hit. Um, and he brings a good deal of playoff experience to the to the Suns as well. So I I mean this is just it's gonna they're gonna be such a tough team come playoff time that because they can score in a variety of ways and Devin Booker I mean he could still light you up for thirty and early in the year this team was twentieth in the league and I think scoring I'm like calm down. They're going to be fine. They can light you. They have the firepower to light you up for 130 every single night. Just because of Devin Booker, Chris Paul, Macal Bridges, Jake Crowder, they have so many weapons that they have that it's just it, it's it's going to be it's going to be tough to stop them because again, the variety of weapons that they have and uh they could to me they could be a dark horse to make a an, a Western Conference Finals run. I, I really do. I really do think they could be. Because they, they, they just, they've just got a great a great lineup. Like Chris Paul's scrappy. He's a scrappy defensive guard, especially for his size. He's made, he's made a living out of it. Um, but again, Devin Booker, we know him. He could put up 30 a night if he wanted to. He's, his scoring's down, but it's, it's not really any fault of his own. He's just decided, I have more people around me. I don't need to put up 30. And it's probably better if I don't put up 30. Because we could probably get more points, and it takes the attention off of me defensively. Because Devin Booker can still get a bucket, and especially now with all those weapons around him, he could still go get a bucket in crunch time. Because they still have to worry about all these weapons around Devin Booker. But and there, I mean, as I've said, the reason why. Why they're so dangerous is because they spread the ball around. And the stat that backs this up, they are third in assists per game. They spread the ball around. They, it's not an ISO show like like up there in Brooklyn with James Harden and Katie. It's not an ISO show. This is a this is a team game. A team game. And I'm excited to see what the second half of the season and the playoffs hold for the Phoenix Suns. Because in the end, I think they're my dark horse to make a Western Conference Finals run, depending on where they end up. Because, again, we still have the Lakers. We have the Clippers nipping at their heels. And I, to me, personally, I think the Lakers and Clippers will both pass off Phoenix. But I'm not counting Phoenix out. I, I, I think Phoenix is still going to be dangerous come playoff time. Just because of again their defense and offense playing at a, such a high level.
Uh, we're going to be shifting over to the Eastern Conference now. We're going to be talking about the 76ers, one of the most impressive teams. And I, I didn't even expect them to be doing this well. They are top of the Eastern Conference right now. And they just pulled off the upset against the Jazz, who are the number one seed in the Western Conference. They beat them 131-123 in OT. Joel Embiid, 40 points, 19 rebounds, two blocks, one steal, and the game-tying three to send it to OT. Oh, my Lord. He, he's, he's the MVP candidate by far. It's not close. That was Joel's fifth 40-point, 10-rebound 40 game this year. The rest of the NBA, you want to know how many they have? They have four. The rest of the NBA combined has four 40-point, 10-rebound games. Joel alone has five. This man is a monster right now. I, I don't want to play Joel Embiid right now. He, he, he's the MVP. For, I don't think it's close. People say, oh, this is a little man's league now. No. Joel Embiid said, wait a minute. Watch this. And Jokic. I mean, Jokic is having an impressive year, but I think the, Phoenix, the Denver Nuggets are disappointing me right now. But don't, we'll, we'll get to that We'll get to that another day. But Joel Embiid, again, I don't know how you argue that he's not the MVP frontrunner. I don't think it's I don't think it's close. I, I don't. You look at Joel's numbers. He's averaging 30, 30 points, second in the NBA. 11.6 rebounds. That's fifth. 31.19 PER. That's second. He's averaging a block and a steal. He's shooting 42% from three as a center. 85% from the free throw. Remember, this is a big man. Big men aren't supposed to do this. And he's shooting 52% from the field. They are one and five without Joel Embiid. One and five. So, I mean, they're not winning when they he's not in the lineup. It's noticeable. Their offense isn't as good. Their defense isn't as good. Joel Embiid, I told you, my biggest knock against Joel Embiid, I've always liked him, but he seems to have this switch sometimes where he, sometimes he gets passive, sometimes he's settling for jumpers, sometimes he's just not locked into the game. But Joel Embiid is scary right now. He is scary. You don't want to match up with him. There, to me, is no center that could, that could knock him off his track. We have, we have not seen this kind of dominance from a big man in a while. Because to me, he's he should win MVP. Right now, if the voting started today, Joel Embiid should be MVP. We have another half of the season left to play, so let's hold our horses. But right now, Joel's the MVP, and it's not close. He's just... He ragdolled Rudy Gobert in that game. Rudy Gobert is a defensive player of the year. Rudy Gobert isn't some scrub. He's a first-team All-NBA center. And he just, he dropped 40 on him. 40. And I like what he said. Oh, uh, yeah, I'm real scared of Rudy Gobert. Yeah. <laughs> he shut them up real quick. Because I think a reporter in one of their press conferences, I think he has Doc Rivers, why... You know, Rudy, I mean, Joel wasn't playing against the 1C Jazz. And 
Well, he played tonight and he dropped 40 against them. So, yeah, let's put that notion to bed. Joel isn't scared of anybody. And Joel has that mentality. He's not afraid of anybody. He doesn't fear anybody. Joel's going to go out there and do his thing. And if you get mad, he's going to troll you. That's what he does. That's jo- Joel Embiid, he, to me, I love him. I love him. And I, I said before the year started, I thought Jokic was the best big man in basketball because Embiid, while he, he could be more dominant, he could be more dominant. He didn't do it all the time. He wasn't locked in. Well, my opinion's changed. Joel Embiid's the best big man in basketball. He's doing what he does at such a high level. And this is no discredit to the Joker. I, th- I think where Joel just just separates himself from Jokic, he's just he's so much of a better defender than Jokic. I mean, he's the Joker. He's not a def- he's he's more of a facilitating big guy. He could still score at a very high level. Joel, I mean, Jokic could still score again effortlessly. He's a very good shooter, and nothing against him. I, I still think he's he's an All NBA talent. He's an all-star, and he's he's a very key. He's he's the second best big man in basketball, at least to me. But Joel Embiid to me has just separated himself from the pack this year, and I, I don't know what the Sixers, you know, drew up on that last play to like when Embiid took that three because Joel was down in the post and he had the game sense to realize. Oh crap, the time's running out. What do I do with the ball? Joel runs out to the three-point line and just shoots over Bohan Bogdanovich, and it's nothing but net. Whew, I don't know what they drew up, but Joel definitely, definitely f- fixed that last play. Because if, I don't know, I, I don't know what they drew up. Because again, it looked like, it was just, it looked like Joel sitting in the post. I'm not sure if someone was going to come off a screen and he was going to kick it out and they'd shoot a three like maybe Seth Curry, Danny Green but Joel's just like okay no one's coming fine I'll do it myself runs out to the three point line shoots it over Bohan Bogdanovich switch and just like that they headed to overtime what happened in overtime oh it wasn't Joel it wasn't Joel no Tobias Harris and I said right when they hired Doc Rivers Doc, Tobias Harris has had his best years with Doc Rivers. And what does he do? He goes out there. Joel's just like, okay, you know what? He's hot. Tobias Harris scores 11 out of the team's 13 points in overtime to just put the Jazz away. And sayonara, we're going home. Goodbye. Good riddance. Go back to Utah. the the Sixers team it's just different sometimes and Doc you know Doc's a great coach but Doc sometimes just does the simple things if a guy's hot get it into his hands it's the simple things like that you don't have to draw up anything elaborate doing if a guy's hot get him the ball it's as simple as that and that's just what happened with Tobias Harris in overtime they got it to Tobias Harris and he's proven to be hey I could be a second option for this for the Sixers team, you know, and Ben Simmons, he's gotten more aggressive down the stretch. He's averaging around 15 now. He was, I think, around 12, but Ben Simmons had that 42-point. He had a 42-point game against the Jazz, actually, too. So, I mean, I, I think it shows. Ben Simmons could do it. He could score, too, if you, if, when he wants to. He could. 
but he just he doesn't do it. He he realizes Joel's the more talented scorer here. Get, let Joel score. <laughs> let Tobias score. I'll I'll play defense and I'll play make. I'm fine with that. He does that at an elite level. Speaking of his defense, he locked up Don, Donovan Mitchell. Again, Donovan Mitchell's played well this season. He has. He went 12 of 34 last night. Ben Simmons, just you, you people who watch the Sixers, I watch my fair share of Sixers games, Sixers highlights. Ben Simmons puts you in a torture chamber. His length, his athleticism, his ability to guard one through four. And to me, he's the defensive player of the year because of his ability to guard one through four. It's, it's the versatility. Rudy Gobert, and it, it's not his fault. Rudy Gobert's just not fast enough. He's, he's, he's just, he's, he's too big. He's too slow. I mean, he protects the rim great. He's a, he's a great rim protector, but I just think you, you, you see the impact when Ben Simmons is on the floor. His defense is just remarkable. Lillard, Mitchell, we could go down the list of people he's locked up and he's just put in just, just this, this torture chamber where he's just locking them up. They're going to prison for the night. They're spending the night in a holding cell. That's that's what Ben Simmons does to you. He's putting you in a holding cell each time, each time he's on you. Because man, he's I mean the deflections, the tip balls, the, the steals, the, the ability to block. He I mean he he's, he's he's too big. He could move. You could put him on any position one through four. Heck, man, some teams one through five. He's just that versatile. And I think. To me, they have the MVP and they have the Defensive Player of the Year on the same team. That's usually pretty good, right? That usually means you're going to win a championship. Now, I wouldn't go that far, but... I mean, he, yeah, look at look, just look at the numbers. He's averaging 1.6 steals and 7 tenths of a block. It's very and very noticeable when they're on the... when he's off the court. I think they had a game against the Trailblazers where he didn't play... And I think they lost. And his defensively, the Sixers just weren't the same. And and it's so noticeable. But I mean, what else about this the Sixers team? They're 16 and 3 at home. Home cooking. Yeah, you, you probably want to win most of your home games. And they're doing, yeah, they've lost three home games. They're 16 and 3. And they're at the top of the Eastern Conference. You you, you want to win the games at home. I get it. There's no fans this year. I mean, fans are supposed to be coming back actually to to the Wells Fargo soon. I think because you know COVID restrictions are getting loosened up as the vaccines are getting rolled out. So we're probably going to see some more fans the second half of the year, which will be cool, definitely for the players and for the people watching the game. I'm sure they're sick of just looking at a looking at um cardboard cutouts. I mean. This team, to me, again, is pretty good on both ends of the ball. They're 14th in offensive efficiency, second defensive efficiency. Again, Doc is a great defensive coach. 10th in points per game, 11th in points allowed, 6th in rebounds per game, 10th in field goal percentage. Um, they're 15th in three-point per percentage. They don't rely on the three-ball. They're 28th in three-pointers made and three-pointers attempted. And to, to me, again, they're not built off the three. They're not, but they have three-point shooters. You have Danny Green, you have Seth Curry, Tobias Harris, Joel Embiid shooting at a pretty good clip from three. So they have three-point shooters. They just don't shoot them at a high rate. 
they don't yeah they're 28th in the league and three pointers made and attempted so they're not they don't rely on the three ball again when you have Joel Embiid I guess you don't really need to rely on the three ball but just something to think about come playoff time but and to me the only real threat to this team is the Nets in in the Eastern Conference of course in the Eastern Conference is the Nets I, I don't see the Bucks. I mean, the Bucks again. I, I like what they did with Drew Holiday. I think I think they're gonna be better come playoff time. But I don't think they're gonna beat the Sixers. I the Celtics. I haven't been impressed with. The Knicks right now are in playoffs, but I don't think they're gonna be any. The Raptors. I don't think are gonna be any threat. Um, the Heat. We'll see how they go. Again, I love Jimmy Butler. I love the impact he brings to the game. But I, I, the way the Sixers are playing right now, I just don't see any threat outside of the Nets. That's how good they're playing. I'm, I'm not really – if I'm the Sixers – again, again, anything could happen in the playoffs. But if I'm the Sixers, I want to take down the Brooklyn Nets who just made – who are about to make a splash signing when they get Blake Griffin. Uh, we'll talk about that later in the show, but – we're going to transition into my team right now, the Washington Wizards. And now we're getting to my... It's not often I get to talk about the Wizards' success on this uh, on this podcast, so I'm a little happy. Let's talk about the Wizards. They're back, or they're almost back in it. They're two games outside the eighth seed. They're eight and three in their last 11. Bradley Beal, he's still balling. He's still that man. Probably going to be the leading scorer in the NBA this year. He's averaging 33 points on 48% shooting, 34% from three. Russell Westbrook, he's basically averaging around 20, 10, and 10, shooting 43%. And he's gotten more efficient as the year went on. The Matt and because he, he, he was around like 39% shooting, but he's sort of, he's, he's creeping up. And that's right. I like him at 43% shooting. I'll take that because Russ is at his best when he's going downhill and attacking the basket, attacking and distributing. That's, that's what he's best at. And, you know, he started off the year slow. He had some injuries, but I'm happy. I'm happy with the way Russell Westbrook's playing now. He's playing a lot more efficient not taking as many threes, which I'm thrilled about. You know, the magic number for him in threes, I think, is like three or four. That's like, if he's hot, then then shoot more. If he's like, if he's like three or three from three, then fine, shoot more. But if if he's if if he's if he's like one of one of four, I, I, for the most part, I want him going downhill. I want him attacking the basket, distributing. He's not a great foul shooter. Almost cost us the game with that, but and you know, let's look. Let's look who they've beaten in this stretch. Who have they? Who have they beaten? Cup cupcake teams? No, they beat the Celtics, who who are disappointing. But hey, they're still in the playoffs. The Denver Nuggets again disappointing, but they're in the. They beat them. They beat the Denver Nuggets twice. They're still a pretty good team. We still have Jamal Murray. Still have Jokic. They beat the Blazers, who are playing surprisingly well. Dame Lillard. McCollum's hurt, but they hey they beat them. They beat the Lakers and they beat the Clippers. They well they split with the Clippers and they split with the the Celtics, and they also lost to the Grizzlies and that's the other team they lost to in that stretch. But yeah, they just beat the L.A. Clippers, albeit without Paul George. But that's still a good Clippers team. 
You still have Kawhi Leonard. You still have some good pieces there. They still beat him. And they, they don't, again, there's some quality teams. They're only two games outside the eighth seed, and the East is very weak. So I'm happy right now, especially considering that the Wizards, I think at one time, were the worst team in the Eastern Conference. And that says a lot because there's some bad teams there. And it's a weak conference. And, you know, you look at how the Wizards won that last game against the Clippers. It's the things that don't show up in the stat sheet. That's how they won. You know, I think they someone missed a free throw at the end of the end of the game. Towards the end of the game, the Clippers were going to get the ball back, I think. And Russell Westbrook crashes the boards, crashes the boards. He plays hard. And that's what I like about Russell Westbrook. That's one of the qualities I like. He's, he's aggressive, and he lays it all on the floor. And sure enough, he crashes the board. No one boxes him out, tips a rebound. The ball gets tips around, tipped around. The Wizards have it, and they run out the clock. Ball game. I think it was 119-117. Uh, they missed the free throw, and then Russ, Russ crashed the board, tipped it out. I think they got it to Brad, and they just ran out the clock. And sure enough, the Wizards, they, they win that game. It's the little things that don't show up in the stat sheet that are going to win you games. And that's one of them. Now, is this team going to be a competitive playoff team if they get in? No, probably not, because their roster's not great. And especially especially considering that they also lost Thomas Bryant. But um, what is, what is this Wizards team built off of? They're built off of Bradley Beal's scoring and Russ's playmaking. Those are their only two consistencies right now. They have not found anything else consistent. I have not found anything else consistent about this Washington Wizards basketball team. They signed Bertans to a new deal. He's been hot and cold. His shooting's been down. His scoring's been down. I think his numbers all across the board are down. You know, Ish Smith got hurt. I think he's, 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 uh, I'm not sure how long ago he got out, got hurt, but I think he was out six to eight weeks with, I forget what it was. Was it a calf? Was it a calf injury? I, th- I might have been a calf injury. It was something, it was definitely a leg injury. So he was out six to eight weeks. And I like Ish Smith as a backup guard. I think he's a great boost off the bench. He's a veteran presence. He's bright scoring, playmaking. Um, and that's something the Wizards need, especially off the bench. Their benches in years past have been very weak. But Ish, Ish, I like Ish Smith. I, I, I think I like him off the bench. I think he's definitely one of the better off options. You know, again, Bertans, he hasn't been really consistent shooting the basketball. But again, when he's hot, he's hot. He's one of the best shooters in basketball. But when he's cold, yeah, it's usually not a good sign when he's cold because he usually can't hit anything. But again, Rui Hachimura, I thought he'd take more strides. I thought he'd develop a little bit more. He's, he's still having a solid year, but his numbers, again, have dipped, at least from my perspective. But he's, he's taken strides as a defender. You know, you look at some of his most notable defensive matchups this season. Um, he held Dame when he was guarding Dame, 0 of 8 shooting. KD, he held 3 of 11 shooting. The Claw, he held 2 of 6 shooting. Carmelo Anthony, you know, 2 of 8. He's still a pretty good player. 2 of 8 shooting. And Jimmy Butler, when he was guarding him, 4 of 10. So he's improving as a defender, which is a great sign considering how bad this Washington Wizards team is defensively. But they, it's still going to be tough for them come playoff time because I, I still don't think they're a good 
defensive team. And you usually need to be a pretty solid defensive unit in the playoffs unless you have a blistering hot offense. And the Wizards, again, have two star caliber players offensively. But outside of those two, they don't really have anyone. They just they don't. Um, he, yeah, he, Rui Hachimura, I mean, I like him, but he, he hasn't take, I thought he'd take more of a boost in off his offensive game. Um, his numbers are down across the board. Again, he was dealing with an injury, but he's going to be important if the Wizards want to make a, a run to that, to get that eight seed. I think more players are going to have to step up and he's one of them. You know, I, I, I still like Rui Hachimura. Bertans is going to have to play better. He's going to have to get into some kind of groove. They're going to get Ish Smith back. Um, the center position is something I'm worried about. Their big play to me is still a big concern because I don't think they have a consistent big. Robin Lopez, um, I think he's leads the league in like points per post up, or that's a. I thought I saw that somewhere. He leads the league. He's a tr again. Robin Lopez is more of a traditional big man, more of a rim protector. Probably their best rim protector right now since Thomas Bryant got hurt, and I'm sort of sad he got hurt because he was having a pretty promising year too. He was averaging around 15 per game, and when they lost him, he he was. Outside of him, I didn't really like their bigs. Mo Wagner's all right. Alex Len, eh. Robin Lopez, not really an offensive big. He'll rebound, he'll play defense, but he's not really great offensively. But their bench is still not very deep, especially, I mentioned this earlier, with the loss of Ish Smith. Uh, it's, it's going to be tough going down the stretch for this Wizards team. I, I get it, they have Troy Brown. Isaac Bonga, but I'm still not crazy about this team. But we're not talking about Eastern Conference. You know, we're not talking about those top seeds. We're talking about can the Wizards get the eighth seed? And with the way this Eastern Conference is playing, yes, they could. It doesn't, it's not going to take that much. Um, they're, they're two games out and they're 14 and 20 of the eighth seed. So it's, it's I'm really not that concerned, um, honestly. But again, it would be nice to see them just get in, get into the playoffs, even though they probably get bounced by the Sixers or the Nets or whoever they face off against. But, you know, could they get into the playoffs? Yes, I think Bradley Beal and Russell Westbrook could maybe will this team into the playoffs and maybe win a game if they're lucky. But I, I still think they're competitive. Um, I'm, I'm going to bank that Bertans is going to improve in the second half. He'll be a better shooter. I'm hoping that Hachimura sort of comes along a little bit more offensively. You know, they get Ish Smith back. Maybe their big play gets a little bit more consistent. And maybe they find a big man instead of sort of rotating Mo Wagner, Lopez, Len. Because right now, I think center, coming into the season, I wasn't crazy about the depth they had. And I, I was a Thomas Bryant fan, but Thomas Bryant's hurt. I, I still think Thomas Bryant would be better coming off the bench, but he had a great start to the year. So I guess we'll see what happens there in the offseason. But I wasn't crazy about their big play coming in. And I'm even more concerned now with the loss of Thomas Bryant because I'm, Mo Wagner is not a starting caliber big, in my opinion. Robin Lopez is a bench big along with Tom, I don't think they really have a starting big and I think that's something they're going to need to look at in the offseason but to me I think Bradley Beal and Russell Westbrook could will this team into the playoffs maybe win a game if they're lucky probably get swept for nothing but you know this team again I like the way they're coming along I like the way they're battling I like the way they just didn't give up on the season and 
it's the season's not over yet. We're only halfway through. They have a lot of games coming up in the second half of this year. So we'll see how that goes in terms of scheduling. Maybe we'll, hopefully they don't get tired and worn out. But I have a feeling that might happen because I think they're one of the they're one of the teams playing the most games in the second half just because most of their games and the, they had a decent bit of games in the first half get canceled. But we're going to move on here. We're going to move on to another team in the East that is surprising a lot of people, including me. New York Knicks. Yes, I said it. You didn't, I didn't stutter. The New York Knicks. We'll talk about them next. And yes, we're getting into our second to last segment. The Knicks. Oh, the Knicks. Who would have thought? I mean... Don't get me wrong, the East isn't strong right now. You know, you have some disappointing teams, the Celtics, the Raptors. Um, those are the two really big ones. And the Pate, I mean, the East right now just a lot of underwhelming teams. But the Knicks aren't one of them. The Knicks are 19 and 18, and they're the, the fifth seed in the Eastern Conference. As embarrassing as that sounds, that a 19 and 18 team is 15 is fifth in the Eastern Conference. Well, gotta, you know, they play who they're, they only control who they play. And right now, they've won nine, a little over half of their games. And, you know, for other teams, you know, that might be 19 and 18. Well, as a Wizards fan, I would definitely take 19 and 18. But, you know, as a Knicks fan, 19 and 18, you're feeling good. The sun is shining. It's a beautiful day, you know? It's a good season if you're a Knicks fan so far. As long as they're not at the bottom of the Eastern Conference, you're fine. But, you know, let's talk more about this team. Julius Randle. You know, I remember that summer. It was KD, Kyrie. They're all on the free agent market. We're thinking they're going to New York. New York's going to become relevant again. Well, they did go to New York, just not to the Knicks. They went to Brooklyn. They went across the bay. Um and people are just disappointed and all, and all the hype. Oh, they might get Zion. Well, they don't get Zion. They don't get the first pick in the draft. They get R.J. Barrett. R.J. Barrett's not bad, but obviously, you know, you want Zion. You want Showtime in New York. And Zion, Zion Williamson is Showtime. He's averaging 25 a game, 25 points a game down there in New Orleans. But, and they're a little disappointing to me, or this year as well but they're in the western conference let's stick with julius randall he's the one who signed there with the knicks in that free agency with katie Kyrie, all them all those great stars but they get julius randall and julius randall's a he was just coming off a solid year in new orleans he was playing some pretty good basketball and he and he's continued playing pretty good basketball in new york he's an all-star this year and things are looking up there in new york you know he's leading the Randall's currently leading the Knicks in three categories. He's leading them in points with 23 a game, rebounds with 11 per game, assist, assist. Yes, he's leading them in assist with five and a half, and that's pretty good for a power forward. That's pretty good. He's shooting 48% from the field, 41% from three. So he's got some solid shoot, shooting stats as well. I mean, he's had a pretty good year for them. And R.J. Barrett, the guy just mentioned him, he's shown some strides. Um, he's averaging around 17 points, six rebounds, shooting around 44%, 35% from three. He's still not the greatest shooter, but again, 
He's making strides, and that's all you could ask. He's again great lengthy win wing, great defensive player. He fits well there, but you know, he's he's slowly making his way. He, he's having a pretty good year for them, and they just added D Rose and. There was a time a little bit ago, you know, Derrick Rose sort of signed there, but Derrick Rose wasn't in a great mental state a couple of years ago, I don't think. So it just never really panned out. I think they ended up either trading or releasing Rose. But D Rose is back, and he's he, he's still a solid player. And you know, people people reminisce on the what ifs. What if Derrick Rose didn't get hurt? And it's I think about it all the time because Derrick Rose was talented, like MVP youngest MVP in the league I mean he was just a different breed when he was healthy and then he had those two ACL injuries and just robbed him of a great career but he's still an, a very good player he's still very useful he's he's a he can still score the basketball he's still a pretty good facilitator and it gives them and that what do the Knicks struggle with this season what have they been absolutely terrible at their offense, they've been awful. And I, I like this addition. I, I like the the veteran presence off the bench. I, he, he still could score the basketball. He's still averaging around 12 a game for them. I think he's averaging also around like four assists. So he's a guy who could run the offense like when coming off the bench when, you know, they, they have Alfred Payton in there right now. And Alfred Payton, he's another a, a solid player. He's more of a defensive guard. He's not really... I mean, he's all right offensively, but definitely more of a defensive guard. And and the Knicks got off to a pretty good. St- I mean, not pretty good, but for them, it's pretty good. But I, I, the Knicks got off to a pretty good start, and I'm like, I think they're gonna fade off, you know. But I was wrong. They've stayed competitive. They they're fifth in the East, and you could make fun of them for having uh being a game above 500 and being the fifth in the Eastern Conference. Hey, they can't control what conference they play in. They're just there, so. They're the fifth seed right now, and do I expect him to stay in the fifth seed? Ah, I don't know if I, I expect them to stay in the fifth seed. I, I really, I think this. I'm going to change my mind on them, and I, I'll admit I was wrong about the New York Knicks. Unlike other sports analysts, I will admit when I'm when I'm wrong. I, I still, I think the Knicks will make the playoffs, and I don't think they're going to be necessarily an easy out because, I mean. They've just they've been carried by their defense and they've been elite defensively, elite, top tier. They're fourth in defensive efficiency, first in points allowed, first in opponent field goal percentage, first in three-point percentage, second defensive rating, rating, third in rebounds, and second in blocks. They have Nerlens Noel, who's been playing well for them off the bench. You have Mitchell Robinson, another great rebounding defensive big. So they've they've got, you know, pretty good rim protectors and the heart of their team right now is the, the, that big duo download. Mitchell Robinson is not much of an offensive player, but he provides them with great rebounding, great rim protection, great defense. Uh, Julius Randle's by far their best all-around player. I mean, when you lead the team in three three categories, I'm pretty sure you're probably going to be their best player. And the way this team is playing right now, you know, I, I, like every every good defensive team with a poor offense gets this. Oh, they're reminding me of the Pistons. I, I don't. I mean that that to me would be a very uh, again a, a very easy comparison. Oh, they're good defensively, you know. Off- offensively, that you know they don't have that many guys, but it, it's all about their defense. 
but I'm not going to compare them to the Pistons because I think that's just too easy of a comparison. I'm going to compare them to a team I loved watching growing up, a team that really, you know, they were boring to watch, but I loved watching them because they just they were underdogs in almost every series. They upset the Spurs a couple years back, um, and they remind me, you know, just because of their style of play. They're 30th in pace, by the way. I'm not I'm not going to get into their offensive stats. They're a terrible offensive team. They're bottom. They're basically near the bottom in almost every statistical offensive category, but. They remind me of sort of the grit and grind Grizzlies. You know, those early 2010 to like 2010, like maybe like 2014 Grizzlies, 2015. I don't know when they officially like disbanded, but I loved watching them. Mike Conley, Zebo, Vince Carter, Matt Barnes, Mark, young Marcus Saul. Um, who else? I think they had Tayshaun Prince there for a little bit. Um, who else? I'm missing some. I'm gonna look into this because I want I want to make sure I get every guy. Zebo was my favorite out of them. I lo- I was a big Zebo fan. You know, he had those gang inc- incidents. Yeah, we we know that. But um, outside of that, Zebo was good for 20 and 10 a night. Sort of. He he to, he to me is the Julius Randle of this. Of, of he to me was just he he's the. Julius, or he's the Zebo of this. Yeah, from 2011 to 2015, um, that that's when the grit and grind gl- Grizzlies. They started with their again two pillars in the front po- front court: Marcus Saul, Zach Randolph. They're, they were undersized too. Again, Zach Randolph was a six nine power forward. Marcus Saul was a six eleven center. But the, it's funny saying guys that big are undersized, but that's just the nature of the game. But, and then you look, you had Mike Conley. I, I, I'm a huge, Mike Conley, especially with the Grizzlies, I loved him. He was he was their playmaker. He was their floor general. He was the facilitator of that team. And um, I, I just really enjoyed watching them play because they weren't necessarily a great offensive team, but they, they were tough. They were tough to beat. They would extend series, and you could talk. Skip Bayless says this all the time, and I'm not a huge Skip Bayless fan, but I do agree with them, him on this point. I mean, the Grizzlies and the Spurs—they had a rivalry, and the Grizzlies were never an easy out. You can never just say, "Okay, we got this. We're against the Grizzlies." No, they were—they'd slow the game down and limit the possessions, and that's—that's that's what the Knicks do. That's what the Knicks are going to do. They're a great rebounding team, great defensive team, and they're going to they they're going to want to slow this game down. They're not going to want fast breaks going, you know, a lot they don't want a lot of possessions per game. They don't. They they want to slow it down and they want to limit the possessions. They want to keep the score to a little over 100 to maybe even under 100 in some games. But that's what the that's what the Knicks want to do. And I think they could do it. You have a veteran point guard. You have Derrick Rose, Alfred Payton, another veteran point guard, R.J. Barrett, Obi Toppin, who you just drafted, Mitchell Robinson, Julius Randle, Nerlens Noel off the bench. Um, what's um, quickly Emmanuel? Quickly, they have him um, again. These they're not a great offensive team, but defensively they're gonna they're gonna turn these games into slugfests. They're gonna be close, low scoring games. Unless, of course, you're the Nets and you get ultra hot and 
beat them. But to me, I, I think I still think the Knicks. I think they're going to make the playoffs. I don't know if it will be as a five seed, but I think they'll be anywhere in that six through eight range. I think the Knicks are going to get back into the playoffs for the first time since 2012, 2013, around there. I know that's the last time they made it, but I think they're going to make the playoffs. I think depending on the matchup, if, if they get, you know, if they get the right team, if they get a team like the Celtics, if they get a team like that, I could see them... I, I don't think they're going to just be a washover. I think you're going to have to really battle against this team. Tom Thibodeau, known for his defensive prowess, um, I, I could see him extending it to six games. I don't. I just don't think the Knicks are going to be a pushover. He's got a he's got a gritty, tough unit there. These are these aren't scrubs. These are veteran players. These are these these guys are playing hard basketball right now. And props to Tom Thibodeau. Props to him and props to the job he's done with the Knicks. The Knicks. You know, definitely not on the top of people's list in terms of destinations. Yeah, it's, it's 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 among the best in the league in terms of you know Madison Square Garden playing in in New York, one of the biggest sports markets in the league. You know, you could get all those national TV games, but they don't have that right now. New York isn't wasn't a very desirable des- destination due to you know James Dolan, due to some of those some of those other some of the front office guys there. But I really like the job that the Knicks have done this season they're, they're competitive they're great defensive team they're gritty and i don't think they're going to be a pushover come playoff time i could see them extending it to six maybe even seven if it's the right you know they get the right matchup but will they win a first round series eh, i wouldn't go that far i i think they'll make it competitive though i think they'll make it a little bit more competitive than people people think definitely not a team you're going to want to underestimate because i mean you go cold from the field and with this team defensively you're gonna they're, you're gonna have a hard time scoring the basketball you're gonna have to battle for every bucket the knicks are gonna slow the game down their 30th in pace they don't want a speedy game so they're gonna take their time getting into their offensive sets and running what they want to run but that's gonna bring us on here to our last topic we're staying in new york don't worry, we're staying in New York. We're going to Brooklyn, though. Brooklyn, where KD and Kyrie are right now. That's the hot topic in the NBA. The Brooklyn Nets. Getting into our last topic here. Oof. Brooklyn Nets just, you know, continue to make moves. And... This one was definitely needed. They needed some help in the front court. Blake Griffin, you know, he he's now going to be reunited with his buddy DeAndre Jordan from their time in LA. But Blake Griffin, you know, just a, it just seems like yesterday, just three years ago, it seemed like you know Blake Griffin had his best year. The arguably, yeah, he had his high score. I think he was averaging almost twenty-five a game with the Pistons that was like three years ago but this isn't the Blake Griffin that you know I knew growing up and as most of you listening knew growing up Blake Griffin has turned himself more into a shooter I don't think he's had a dunk the past two years and what is Blake what was Blake Griffin known for coming into the league the dunks the athleticism 
all that and injuries again he's another player injuries have sort of robbed him of his athleticism now he's not he's not the Blake Griffin we all knew growing up he's sort of he's more of a shooter he's a guy who could spread out the three-point line and he could sink some jump shots and it's you know they needed some definite help on the bench and they get it here with Blake Griffin Um, Blake Griffin is definitely a a a suitable role player he could be a he could be a guy you could plug in there and you could trust Blake Griffin he's gonna he's a smart guy I mean he's averaging I think He's almost averaging, I think, four assists a game. So he's definitely a smart basketball player. He, he's a guy who knows the game. He's, he's he's been around the game, and he's had some successful years. I I still think, I still think, you know, I think this is going to be sort of a, a fresh start for Blake. You know, he's he's sort of starting over here in the Nets. He's he's not going to be a, he's not a guy who's going to go out. He doesn't need to average twenty a game. He's a guy, you know, could go out, maybe get you 8 to 12 a game. Blake Griffin could do that. Blake Griffin's averaging 12 a game this year, but again, his production has significantly dropped off after a career high in scoring two years ago. But he's a guy, you know, you could definitely plug out there, and this team needs help off the bench. Jeff Green's been playing well for them. I think Blake's going to come off the bench for them. I think that's where he's going to be better off. You know, giving this second unit a spark that they so desperately needed some help to add. And sure enough, they 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 do. They add a guy who who could go out there. He's a veteran player. He's another big body. He's not he's not a center per se, but you know, he's another guy who could run small ball with. He's a he's turned himself into a pretty good three-point shooter. He's a guy who could, you know, coming into the league, that wasn't his game. He was you know, he's sort of exp- he's a one of the guys you look at and say, "Wow, you know, his game really evolved from being more of an around the rim player to sort of evolving with the league, sort of expanding his games, you know, expanding okay, 10-foot jump shots, 15-foot sh- foot jump shots, 20, and then he's he's shooting threes. He takes a couple of game and now he, he that's basically what he was, you know, he he was his role was with the Pistons, shooting the ball, and that was unimaginable when he was coming into the league. But he's, he's, I think, sort of embracing that role now. He's realizing, hey, I'm not a guy who's going to go out and get, you know, 25 a game, 20 a game. I'm probably going to be best suited as like a bench role player. And he, he sort of fits right in here in Brooklyn. And, you know, he said it best. He wants to win a championship. And if what better place to go than than Brooklyn, the team with three of the most talented offensive players in the league. But, you know, on a side note, on a side note here, you know, it's it still relates to the Brooklyn Nets, but see what I don't get, like if 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 this was LeBron and Blake Griffin decided to go to LA, what would people say? I know what they'd say. Oh, LeBron needs all this help. Jordan Jordan didn't need this help. No, I, I don't want to hear this. This KD is better than LeBron notion. Just he's a he's a better scorer. He can score in a more variety a variety of ways than LeBron. I, I think he's definitely a better shooter, but he's not better around the rim. Defensively, I, I'd probably give the edge to KD. Playmaking's LeBron. It's not close. 
You know, KD's been surrounded with Steph Curry, Russell Westbrook, James Harden, Kyrie Irving. Blake Griffin's still a solid player. Blake Griffin averaged 25 a game. So if this was LeBron, I mean, oh, LeBron needs all the help he could get, of course. But, you know, KD, since it's KD, oh, everyone wants to play with KD. It just shows you how much more likable KD is. But no, when people want to play with LeBron, it's like, no, no. LeBron needs all the help he could get. He's, he's just he's trying to get easy rings so he could pass Jordan off. I want, I'll, if he beats this Brooklyn Nets team with AD, I, I don't want to hear a word about KD. I don't want to hear I, that. That's a failure if you're the Nets. You want to win rings. You've got three of the most talented offensive players in the game. You just add Blake Griffin, who's a solid role player, and he gives you some depth off the bench. You have DeAndre Jordan. How much else do you need? How much else? When is enough for KD? I don't think KD will ever pass off LeBron in terms of career accomplishments. Or just, I don't. Because, oh, you could say he he beat it. He beat LeBron with Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Draymond Green, Andre Iguodala. You, you arguably have the best shooting backcourt in all of basketball he teams up with. He, LeBron takes this, he comes back from a 3-1 lead and beats them in seven. Draymond's crying out in the parking lot saying, We need you, KD. He just bullied us again. We can't do this. That, that's what happened, as far as I'm concerned. And again, I, I like Draymond. Draymond's a very smart player. Draymond's sort of their glue guy there in, in Golden State. And he's also, it's funny, the reason he's, he's one of the reasons KD left Golden State was because of you know their relationship. And Draymond's a guy, he's not going to put things softly. Draymond's a guy who's going who's gonna to say things like, like how they are. Like he's gonna tell you the truth, no matter if it hurts, if it hurts your feelings. He doesn't care. Then I, I think that that hurts KD a little bit. KD's not a guy who I don't think feeds off of that energy. KD's sort of a little bit sensitive in that regard. But I, I don't want to hear if if LeBron beats this Nets team, if, if they make it to the finals now, if this is if both teams make it to the finals, because, you know, you never know. Thing, things could change. But these are definitely the two favorites in each conference to make it to the finals. But I, I if, if LeBron beats this team, that Katie, Katie, like they, they should just... They, they should leave. They, they should. I shouldn't hear a word from Brooklyn for until next off se- next season starts. If, if LeBron beats them, I mean, Le- listen, LeBron has a pretty talented team himself. I mean, he has Montrezl Harrell, he has Dennis Schroeder, Kyle Kuzma, KCP, Anthony Davis. I'm, what? See what the what the Lakers are lacking. Marcus Saw, I think, has sort of disappointed them in the way he's played. Marcus Saw hasn't been great, but that sort of plays into the Nets' advantage, sort of, because the Nets don't really have, I mean, DeAndre Jordan, of course, but they don't really have a true big outside of that. But, I mean, you still, of course, are going to have to worry about KD and, I mean, AD. And because if you're going to put KD on AD, 
AD is going to back KD down time and time again because KD has no meat on his bones. Anthony Davis could back him down time and time again. It's just a matter of Anthony Davis right now getting healthy and getting back into the lineup for the Lakers. But um, just let's get back to the Blake Griffin signing of this. Um, Blake Griffin, again, he, he gives them some shooting. I think he's. I, I don't think they should just limit him to shooting though. I, I still think Blake could be a force down low. I, I still think Blake could dunk the basketball. And I don't think that's fully escaped him. But injuries have definitely robbed him of some of that athleticism. But I still think Blake. I, I like the signing. I, I think is it definitely helps them bench wise. But to me, I still think they're gonna need like a, maybe like a backup guard or backup. Yeah, I, I think they're gonna need like a backup guard, but you know, it's it was it's it's definitely a step in the right direction though for the Nets. You know, you get some front court depth, and I'm I'm definitely excited to see what this team has in store for the second half of the season, which is starting tonight. So props to that, the NBA restart. Well, not restart, but NBA is gonna resume tonight. Wizards are playing the Grizzlies, so that's gonna be fun, but. That's going to wrap it up here for our sports segment of the show. Um, it was fun. Uh, definitely good to get back doing this again. I've just been busy. Sorry, you know, for those of you that look forward to listening to my podcast. Sorry for the, you know, the time off. But I just I sort of needed it just to, you know, do some other tasks, do some schoolwork. And I just haven't really had the time to put as many shows out there. But um that's gonna do it yeah for the sports segment of the show um always good talking to you but we're gonna transition now into you know the random topics that were chosen and good day everyone and but don't don't tune out yet keep listening keep listening That brings us to our last segment, every some people's favorite segments of the show here, the last segment, where I just take three random topics and talk about them. What are this week's random topics? Well, I'm, I'm going to reveal them one by one as we get to each particular one. First one we're going to start with is, what's the deal with mattress stores? Why are there so many mattress stores? Why? Like, why is there so many of them? Well, the, there's conspiracy theories out there, and I probably, I, I side with these conspiracy theories that mattress firms are just another money laundering scheme. Yes, because I, I never see anyone in mattress stores and pe- stores that just sell mattresses. Like, people just, like, I could see if it's like a furniture store, okay? Like, Okay, you have some furniture in there. You're selling the furniture too, along with the mattresses. But some stores just strictly sell mattresses. Like, who just wants a mattress? I have an idea. Okay, I watch Queen of the South. I don't know if any of you know what that is. And it's it's probably... I love it. They're coming up on their last season. Actually, it's their last season starts... And it's season five. I'm sort of sad it's ending. I was a huge fan of it. But um, Queen of the South. Um, I've always been, I don't know, my friend who, again, I no longer talk to. Um, I think it was, was it senior year she recommended this show to me? 
and I loved it. It's about this girl. It's about this girl. Her boyfriend used to be involved in this big, this big drug ring, this big cocaine ring, and he he died like in the first episode. Or she. Most of you are probably gonna never watch this, so I'm just gonna spoil it. So he supposedly died, and he got assassinated. And he told her if if he had a secret box, and I think he had this phone in it. And he's like, if this phone ever rings, take off and run. Just take off and run. That means something bad has happened. If this phone ever rings. So sure enough, the phone rings. She's got to escape because now she's gonna be wanted by. The other people, the other drug, I, I forget what they're, they're called like coyotes. The one, the ones that go out and kill people for drug, the, the drug organizations, drug families. So the ones that do that. So yeah, basically the phone rings, she's got to escape. And now all of a sudden she's on the run. She eventually gets captured, but she gets across the border and the drug ring's ex-wife is running a, her own separate drug ring in the in America now. So she's running her drug ring in Texas. And then long story short, she becomes more prominent. She starts selling drugs for them. She starts smuggling drugs around, getting deals. But she starts growing and sh- soon she starts rising through the ranks. She eventually becomes a big drug lord herself, yada, yada, yada. Eventually she, act- she, eventually she kills the ex-husband and the ex-wife gets mad and her he had a daughter as well and they're out to try and kill her and that's sort of the storyline just and then the military gets involved the colombian military sort or the mexican military sort of become involved and they, they get sort of in on this money laundering scheme as well but long story short that's what i think drug rings do okay i think they smuggle drugs through those mattress shops because no one's ever in them. No one's ever in them. They're always empty and there's a bunch of them. So how in God's name are they making their money? How? It's a big mystery, but that's my theory. There's definitely some shady crap going on in there. Whether it's definitely drugs are involved. There's definitely drugs and illegal activity involved. But, you know, there's a bunch of them. So it's not like they're going to stick out like, oh, someone just opened a mattress shop. And I don't hear anyone like, oh, you know, yeah, today me and my husband, we went to a mattress shop. You know, we need a new mattress. I don't hear that. No one goes to mattress shops. If anything, they go to like, I don't know, like a retail store, like maybe like JCPenney or something. They sell mattresses. They sell beds. So like they usually get them from there. I mean, there's a lot of... conspiracy theory like there's just i don't know there's just so much it's so weird there's so many around but there's like i never see anyone in them they're they're just always empty so like how these people making their money well i'll tell you they're getting bringing in the mattresses some of them have drugs in them slice them open oh yeah there's cocaine in here yeah and then you just you get dealers coming in here, here's the cocaine. Oh, here's the money. And that's how they're making the money. That's how they're staying afloat. Afloat. The gangs and the drug rings are funding these mattress shops to stay open. That's the only that's the only reasonable explanation. Cuz there are so many mattress shops and like they're not even that popular. 
Most of them are empty. Most, some of them just sell mattresses. Like, how are you making money just selling mattresses? Just, like, just mattresses alone. Because mattresses aren't, like, a hot item. Like, people don't just walk in one day and, like, like, you know what I need? I need a mattress. Like, yeah, say someone, someone's bed breaks, then yeah, you do need a mattress, but <laughs> mattresses aren't, like, a hot commodity. Like, oh, like, oh, I, I need to get this new memory foam mattress. Oh, my God, it just got released yesterday. I need it. I'm going to the nearest mattress shop, and I'm getting it. No, these, these drug rings are funneling money into these mattress shops to stay open so they could continue to spread drugs because it's an easy way to do so. Who's going to suspect a mattress shop of doing that? I, I know there's a lot of suspicion behind mattress shops, but who's going to actually suspect, like, I mean, apparently, apparently, does it, yeah, I'm reading this article here. Like, does anyone really like shopping for a mattress? You buy one maybe every 10 years, and it's a lot of money. Mattresses, as you might suspect, have a, hu have a huge markup. 50% for most stores, according to this guy from goodbed.com. Like, no, not many people, like, get excited. Like, okay, maybe if your old mattress sucked, and yeah, then you might get excited. Mattress Firm is owned by Steinhoff International. That's the second biggest furniture retail company in the world right after Ikea. And surprise, and surprise, surprise, Steinhoff is the subject of a mass, right now, this company that owns Mattress Firm is the subject of a massive criminal investigation. It's not, it's, and it's not just money laundering. Dan connected with this other guy who was written about Steinhoff's, Steinhoff's dealing in South Africa where the company is based. They've been there since 1996. But the name, Marcus, Marcus Juice. Okay, remember this name. He used to be Steinhoff's CEO until everything went hay haywire. He was, again, Steinhoff was one of the biggest companies on Johannesburg Stock Exchange. They employed 50,000 people in South Africa. Nobody in South Africa seemed to care. Oh, their top executives, you know, they made a lot of money. They spent on lavishly restaurants, yachts, cars, probably strip clubs, wine. You know, the whole shebang, what every, what every big CEO does, spend the money. No one seemed to care until December 5th of 2017 when Juice resigned completely out of the blue. He just cold turkey resigned. I'm done. It turns out that Steinhoff may have been brushing some financial irregularities under the bed for years. They're looking to alleged fraud, and it's facing probes from regulators and investigators around the world. It's accused of years of financial fraud. Years. Weirdly back... Okay, while authorities investigate the company, Steinhoff itself has hired auditors to look into their apparent fraud and track down who did it. There are also questions about taxes. It did or didn't pay. See, this is a whole big money laundering scheme. Drug money, I'm telling you. Drug... You know... People who smuggle the drugs, they're paying these mattress companies and to keep them open. Because no one really, no one goes looking for mattresses that often. It says in this article, maybe once every 10 years. So like, this whole thing is just one big, one big money laundering scheme to get drugs across the border and spread drugs around. Spread illegal things around. That is what mattress firms are for. No one, no one needs a mattress every day. You, you, yeah, you get one maybe every 10 years. 
But let's get back. Weirdly, back in 2016, Steinhoff made what looks like an incredibly stupid move. They bought mattress firm for $2.4 billion, more than twice, more than twice of what the company was actually worth at the time. And right after Steinhoff made that purchase, Juice had a big falling out with one of the major suppliers of mattress firm, Temper Sealy, which hurt both company sales. Temper Sealy, they're even suing mattress firm for selling a mattress, it says, and sounds like, looks like the Tempur-Pedic. No, no. It, this article says it's it's a cons this whole thing is weird, but a conspiracy probably not. No, no, there's something fishy going on with mattress firms, and I'm not gonna stop until I get to the bottom of what these firms are doing with these with these mattresses and how they're actually getting their money. We're gonna wrap that up. We're gonna wrap mattress firms up because I'm not gonna go off on a tangent, but there's something fishy going on. There is something fishy. We got to look into this because no, no one buys mattresses that often for them to stay open. Mattress firms, you know, JCPenney sells mattresses too. Like, like they have these big retail. Like, how do they compete with them? It's just weird. But I love conspiracy theories. That's why I love them. Because they could be true. There could be some truth to it. And they could also not be true. But that brings us to our next topic. We're going to be talking about, are esports actually sports? This is a question I struggle with too. Are, are esports actually sports? Um, well, they they have they contain aspects of sports, and the industry is growing. Like the industry for esports is growing. Um, total viewership is expected to grow at a nine point seven nine point nine percent compound annual growth rate between you know twenty nineteen and twenty twenty three. It's expected to get up to six hundred and forty six million viewers in 2020 by 2023 that puts it on pace to almost double it's it's 2017 audience which stood at 335 million you know what what's helped esports incredibly at um you know you see what 2k has done they've partnered with nba teams to create these you know 2k leagues um you have the wizards you know so you basically create a player and you basically try out for like the team that is associated with an actual bath. I think almost every NBA team has um, has a has like a a video game team that is associated with it. I'm not sure what the Washington Wizards one is offhand, but I know the Wizards team didn't. I don't think they did that well. Esports team. Wizards District, yeah, Wizards District Gaming. It's in the NBA 2K League. Um, they actually won the 2020 2K League. Yeah, oh yeah, they did. I forgot. I actually did hear about that. Never mind. Yes, they did just win the 20 again. <laughs> and they're building like arenas for this crap too. Like they're actually like serious about like expanding. And like, you know, we've seen the COD World League, the COD World League Championships. That sort of died down a bit. I haven't personally watch like competitive cod in forever you know you have rocket league rocket league is a pretty intense esports esports thing you have cod and but is it actually a sport i think it contains aspects of sports communication practice you know finding the right finding the right class like depending on the game you're playing you know you have to do you have to watch film you have to know what a team's good at what their strategies usually are, what what are 
a team's weaknesses. But um, this is growing. Like, there's professional, like, arenas. Like, I think... You know, I think, like, I don't know. They're, they're, there's a lot of similarities. They, they, like, they spend hours training in a facility. The purpose, and, like, these, like, most esports teams, I think, like, live together. Like, you have the phase house or the optic house. Or at least that's what I've, like, remember from, like, my time watching competitive gaming. So, like, they sort of, like, live together to sort of develop a chemistry. You, you know... These people, again, they, they, gaming is their life. So they basically sit in front of a computer and game, play games. Like, you know, athletes train like 10 to 15 hours a day. Yeah. These people play video games for 10 to 15 hours a day and they get paid to do it. How much they get paid? I don't know, but they go to tournaments. Top East. I mean, I, you know, communication is key. The the atmosphere, I'm sure, for certain games is better than than others. But again, it, again, reaction. But it's it's the reaction time. You know, eye movements. Um, again, that all plays a role. And I, I guess maybe their thumbs. I don't know. Does it work out their thumbs? I'm sure their thumbs get tired. But again, you have to build your thumbs to be able to play video games for that long. The pro, the again, yeah, and again, just by playing these game, by playing and becoming familiar with these games, these players know how people play. They know tendencies. They know what to look out for. They know where people are going to be. They know camping spots. Listen, they 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 know these maps by heart. They know what routes to take, where people are going to come be coming from, where they're people are expecting to be coming from and just like every other sport they sort of have to strategize to sort of hey how are we going to beat this team hey how are we going to beat this team what's our approach this round what's our approach you know should we attack b should we attack a and then with rocket league you know you have you know oh is this team's not a great jump ball team so try to play the balls in the air we're a good jump ball team so i think they contain to me it is a sport like I, I, it's not in the traditional physical manner you think of sports, where you think of running around, physical activity. You, it's, it's not in that aspect, but they contain communication, strategizing, you know, planning. They, they put in a, a decent amount of hours into their craft. Into so, yes, I, I do think it is a sport. It's just not in the traditional sense of physical activity. You know, these people rely on instincts, you know, knowledge of the game they they don't rely on physical tools they sort of you know they find their they they find their gun per se you know they put hours into improving you know they stay focused looking at the center of the screen they know their maps and they these professional gamers know their stuff A a casual gamer going up against these guys would probably get destroyed like myself i'd probably get destroyed going up against these people because they they probably I, there's probably even stuff that I'm missing, like that these people are good at, that I'm missing. That you know it is actually a very key, key thing, key aspect to their sport. But I don't think it's a sport in the traditional sense of like physical activity and all that. But I I do think personally that I do think personally that you know. 
it, it, it is a sport to me. Again, I'm a gamer, and people probably could debate this all day, but to me, esports are sports. You know, in the Madden League, it's just it's it's not in the traditional sense you think of sports, but they contain aspects of every other's. They contain aspects of you know traditional sports as well, and I think that sort of makes them a sport. You know, they play in front of audiences, they have fans, and it's it's going to become bigger down the road in terms of money, audience, viewership. It's only going to get bigger, and I think we're going to hear a lot about esports in the future. And our last topic of the day, our last topic. What do we go with here? I think I know what I'm gonna say. Yes, our last topic is here is I'm gonna be discussing. I don't know if any of you heard, Mr. Shaquille O'Neal was on AEW. You know, Shaq's had many appearances on for wrestling promos. It was he was in a tag team match against the Miz and someone else. I'm not familiar with AEW. It's, you know, it's it's sort of like a separate thing from WWE now. But, you know, he went on to AEW. He was up against Cody Rhodes and some other lady. I'm not, again, I'm not too familiar with the wrestlers on there. If it was WWE, I might have been able to tell you. But I'm not familiar with AEW. But, you know, Shaq, Shaq's a big idol of mine. I've, I love Shaq. I'm, I've always a f- big fan of listening to him on TNT, like after the games, before the games, him and his banter with, along with Charles Barkley, Kenny the Jet Smith, Ernie Johnson. But um, Shaq's, Shaq's, a, Shaq's everywhere. I mean, Shaq's doing commercials. Shaq's, Shaq's just amazing. Shaq can do anything. But yeah, he was on WWE. He got put through a table. That was disrespectful. You don't put Shaq through a table. Shaq's too good for that. They disrespected him. You know, Shaq had the on the big Shaq gnosis, the big everything. I, I know, you know, people think all oh, wrestling's fake. Listen, I know it's fake. I know it is. You don't have to argue with me, but I'm not gonna be one of those kids who say, no, it's real. No, no, it's fake. It's it's fake. It's uh, it's scripted. The, well, the endings are scripted. Some of the stuff that happens in between, I think, is just acted out. It's not necessarily scripted. They sort of, I think, have like these the wrestlers have chemistry in terms of you know knowing what they want to do they know how the match is supposed to end but everything in between i think is sort of you know just just sort of like free free writing it per se and they sort of just act it out and they just play as things go along but you know shack shack got put through a table you know i mean he power bombed cody rhodes but you know, Cody Rhodes was a big cheater. Cody Rhodes broke up the pin. It was Shaq and this other girl. She was a big girl. Like, she she was muscular. Like, this girl was fit. She was ready. She could knock me out. She could probably knock some of maybe the guy wrestlers out. Because she was, she was built. But anyway, you know, it was her and Shaq. I'm guessing they put those two together just because of how built they were. Like, because this woman was definitely more built than her opponent. Like, she was... She, 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 she can knock someone out with, with those guns. Like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know where she got licensed to carry those guns around, but, you know, she's dangerous. So those are weapons on her arms. But Shaq, you know, Cody Rhodes broke up the pin. 
And then Shaq, I don't think, liked that. Shaq did something, and then Cody Rhodes hit him back. Cody Rhodes bounces off the opposite rope, and then sort of, like, jumps over and throws Shaq, or not throws him, but sort of, like, pushes him out of the table, and then collateral damage. He gets put through the table as well, just because, you know, he had to jump over and push Shaq off. But, you know, Shaq, Shaq got put through a table. It wasn't cool, man. Shaq didn't deserve that. Shaq's a winner. Shaq doesn't deserve to get put through tables like that. Sort of, sort of hurt to see that happen. But you know, Shaq, if he wanted to, he could probably be a wrestler full time. Like what happened with Gronk, sort of. He, Shaq could be a wrestler full time if he wanted to. Because, I mean, they're probably making bank when he comes on the show. Because it's Shaq. Like, everyone knows who Shaq is. Because Shaq's on every Icy Hot commercial. The General. Gold Bond. You name it. Shaq's probably on it in some way, shape, or form. Because Shaq just diversifies his portfolio. And every everyone just knows Shaq. Everyone loves Shaq. Because he's, he's a big, lovable dude. I just, I find it hard not to like him. He's very entertaining. And he's just a great person all around. But anyways, yeah, you know, Shaq got put through that table. It sort of just sort of hurt me a little bit because, you know, they, they, they did Shaq dirty. I wanted to see Shaq dominate and Shaq pin someone. That's what I wanted to see. But that didn't happen. But it's okay. I, I still watched it, you know. I got a good laugh out of it. Shaq ultimately... His partner ended up pinning the girl in the end because Shaq and Cody Rhodes were just put through a table and couldn't move, or two tables, actually. But, yeah, and that's going to be it for today's episode. You know, we had a nice wide array of topics. It was fun, but I think we're going to end it here. It was a great time talking to you. Great to get back on the air. Great to put some more content out there. And next podcast, maybe we'll be out not next week it's probably going to be the week after if i have one out if not it'll definitely be the week after that but yeah we're gonna we're gonna wrap up shop here as always you know have a great day hope your life's going great keep the positivity keep the positivity up that's all about life is i mean it's beautiful spring's coming weather's getting warmer everyone's getting happier right now because you know winter is very depressing sad but you know now we got the sun there's nothing better than feeling the warm sun on your body. There's nothing better than that. Like just going outside, not having to bundle up into like three layers. You know, I could just walk outside. I love going for walks. I have I have a great time. Walks are sort of my thing. I love going out there, just taking a walk around campus because I love walking around Temple's campus. And it just sort of feels like a normal college day because you know, people are still wearing masks of course, but they're sitting down near the bell tower. Everyone's out. It feels like I'm in college. It feels like this is what college is supposed to be like. Like, not like campus is isolated and campus is dead. Like, no, like this is what college is supposed to be like. Everyone's out having a good time, talking to each other, socializing, not cooped up, watching Zoom classes and doing homework all day. So it's, it's good to see sort of the spring weather coming around and everyone being positive because that stuff sort of affects me too because I like the warm weather. I like going outside. I like taking walks and, you know, 
the winter weather sort of didn't allow me to do that and I was sort of stuck inside, mental health not, not up to par, but now I'm getting happier. This is the happiest I've been in a bit, been in a minute, and it's only gonna get better. So peace out everyone. Again, keep the positive vibes going. Love you all that have listened and I'm so thankful for you guys. Peace out though, time to go.